This morning we're starting a four-week series, a new four-week series, which we're calling Growing in Worship, Growing in Worshiping God. And of course, as you know, we can express worship to God, praise to God in, in anything we do in our lives, whether it's making lunch for your kids for school or doing the laundry or balancing the budget or taking your car to get gas. Whatever we do, driving your commute, we can display God's glory. We can express worship to him in all of life. The Bible's clear about that. But what we want to focus on in this series is, is the heart of worship, which is where you set your heart and mind to come before God and to exalt him, praise him, love him, adore him, meet him, go hard after him with, with songs, with scriptures, with prayers, with praise. That's going to be the focus of this next four weeks, that, that heart of worship, which is what we do here Friday mornings. It's what we do in our home groups. It's what you can do with your family devotions, and it's what you can do in your individual prayer life as well the heart of, of worshiping God. Now, why do a series on worship? Why did the elders of Grace Church feel like that's a direction God wants us to move in for this fall? It is not because worship's been so weak here recently. God has been lavish in his grace, pouring out worship upon us over these past months. He's been meeting us. We've been more engaged. He's been pouring out his spirit upon us. It's been beautiful to watch what's been happening in worship here at Grace Church over these last months. But the reason the elders believe we need to do this series is because as we look at the scriptures, we can see that God has more for us in worship, even than we've been experiencing. More of his glory to show us. More of his power to pour out in our midst. More of his love to fill our hearts with more peace, more joy, more love, more freedom, more, more of God's presence to be upon us. When we read the Bible, we can see that God has more than we've experienced, and so that's why we believe God wants us to pursue this for these next weeks. And this morning, we're going to talk about the priority of worship. And the passage is John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. So go ahead and, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We'll be looking at it on the screen, but have your Bibles open so you can be circling words and making notes. This is a very important and powerful passage on worship. Now here's the setting for this passage. Jesus and the disciples have been walking north from Jerusalem, heading up to Galilee, and they are passing through Samaria. And they come to a well there. They're hot, they're thirsty, they, they sit there, they, they, they get some water, and Jesus sends the disciples into town to buy lunch. And while Jesus is left there alone, a woman from Samaria comes up and he starts talking with her. And he shares the gospel with her. You can read that earlier in this passage, it's beautiful. And he points out to her the, the sin of her present marital situation. He, being God, knows exactly what her situation is. He describes exactly what her history is. She is stunned that he knows that, and so she asks him a very important question, and that starts in verse 19. Look at what we read here. The woman, so the woman from Samaria, said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, from how he knew exactly her history. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, there in Samaria. But you say that in Jerusalem, you, plural, Israel, the Jewish people, including Jesus, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, Israel, Jewish people, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verses 19 through 20, the woman asks Jesus a crucial question about where someone should worship, Mount Gerizim in Samaria or in Jerusalem. So I thought we should start by asking, why does she ask that question? Why does she ask about where to worship? And to answer that, we need to be clear on who the Samaritans were and kind of what their historical background is. Here's a map, first of all, you'll see on the screen. Samaria, as you see, is located between Judea and Jerusalem on the south and Galilee on the north. Now, here's some history. Before 722 BC, 722 years before Christ, before that time, Samaria was all populated with people of Israel, tribes of Israel. But in 722 BC, Assyria came and attacked that region, conquered it, deported all those Jews who owned property, and brought back into that region foreigners to take over the abandoned properties. And over the years to come after that, those foreigners intermarried with the remaining Jewish people. They came to be called Samaritans. That's who they were. And these people, the Samaritans, chose to turn their backs on the Jewish faith, turn their backs on God's people, turn their backs on the Old Testament Bible. They took the Old Testament Bible and they threw away all but the first five books and they revised those first five books to suit what they wanted to believe about God. And they established their own worship. They, they wanted their own religion and so they made their own temple on Mount Gerizim where they could worship the way they wanted to worship. Now sadly, God's people north of them, God's people south of them did not reach out to them and seek to draw them back to the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's people north and south became kind of racist about it and started to shun the people of Samaria. It's heartbreaking. But see, here Jesus does what the people of Israel should have done. He meets a Samaritan woman and he shares the gospel with her. And that's where this conversation comes from. Now, the reason that the woman asks about where to worship is because in the Old Testament, God called his people to travel to Jerusalem regularly to worship. But like I said, the Samaritans wanted their own version of God. They wanted their own spirituality. And so they rejected what God said in the scriptures 
And they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And that's why this woman wants to know. She's hearing the gospel. She can tell that Jesus is from God. He's just told her her whole marital history. She wants to know, okay, where am I supposed to worship? Here on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem? Does that make sense? That's why she's asking the question. How does Jesus answer her? The answer is in verses 21 through 24, which is the main point of this passage. And he starts by helping her see that Samaritan worship is wrong in two ways. One is that the Samaritans put too much focus on location. They thought that worship was all about where you worship. And that's why she has this question, okay, where am I supposed to worship? It's either got to be Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. Too much focus on location. But look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now here's what's going on. Like I said, in the Old Testament, God called his people to travel to Jerusalem regularly to worship. Jerusalem was the only place where animal sacrifices were offered. Remember, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed ahead to what Jesus would do on the cross. So Jerusalem was where they should travel to worship, but in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was not the only place people could worship in the sense of coming before God, praying, seeking his face, beholding him, singing. We see David worshiping in his home. Read about that in Psalm 63. We see Job worshiping outside of Jerusalem. We see Daniel worshiping in Babylon when God's people are in exile. So the Old Testament put some focus on location, but you could worship anywhere. They were clear. that God was clear in the Old Testament about that. The Old Testament put some focus on location, but the Samaritans put all the emphasis on location. And in verse 21, Jesus says that the hour is coming when we will put no focus on location. When did that change happen? When Jesus died, paying for our sins, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended into heaven, poured out the Holy Spirit, and created the church. And at that point, God wanted our focus to shift from Jerusalem to the nations. That's why we're here worshiping today in Abu Dhabi and why people all around the globe on Sunday, Friday, whatever day it is, are worshiping the Lord. That's why. So one way that Samaritan worship was wrong was that it focused too much on location. But there's another way it was wrong as well. Samaritan worship was wrong in that it did not worship the true God. Listen to verse 22, what Jesus says. You, and that, that word is plural, he's he's including this woman. She's a Samaritan, but he's talking about the Samaritan people. You worship what you do not know. We, Israel, following the Old Testament, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, let's just camp on that for a moment. How is salvation from the Jews? Well, it's that in the Old Testament, God had chosen the people of Israel through whom he was going to display his glory, 
advance the gospel to the nations. God gave them the Old Testament, which was perfect truth from God. Not complete, it's not completed until the New Testament, but perfect truth about God for God's Old Testament people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we've been studying that. God chose Israel, God blessed Israel, and God called Israel to declare my glory among the nations. And then God sent Jesus through the people of Israel. He sent the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Jesus. That's how salvation is from the Jews. But like I said, the, old, the, the Samaritans had changed the Old Testament so much that what was left over did not give an accurate picture of God, did not give them the truth about God. And that's why Jesus says, you worship what you don't know. When they went to Mount Gerizim, and they worshiped, they prayed, they sang, they exalted, they praised, but they did not know the God they worshiped because the God they worshiped could not be known because the God they worshiped didn't exist. He wasn't there. There's no God like who they're worshiping. So Samaritan worship did not worship the true God. So that's the problem. Jesus is talking with a woman who's coming under conviction by God. She's getting hungry, but she's wrong about worship in these two ways. And so Jesus wants to help her understand how to worship. So let's move to this next question. How should the Samaritans and all of us worship? How should we worship? And look at Jesus' answer or explanation in verses 23 and 24. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the Samaritans and everyone, including all of us, we should worship in spirit and truth. Let's take these one at a time. I'm going to start with truth. What does it mean to worship in truth? To worship in truth means you worship the God who is really there. The God who has revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and most supremely in Jesus Christ. And the God who has given us the scriptures perfectly true, the very words of God, which give the history from Adam all the way to the end, Revelation 22. The scriptures show us who Jesus is, who God is, how we can be forgiven by God, the whole story. And so worship in truth means worshiping God as he's revealed in Christ as taught in the scriptures. That's what it means to worship in truth. Truth is essential for worship. Without truth about God, there's no worship of God. The only way for there to be worship of God is if we have the truth about God. And thankfully, God has given us the truth about him, sending Jesus, giving us the scriptures, we have the truth. Let's just say that there's somebody who wants to go worship God, but they don't like this idea of God being needing to punish sin. Ah, I just don't like that idea. So that just isn't working for them spiritually, you know? 
And they don't like the idea of Jesus having to die on the cross. I mean, that's a horrible thing to think about happening. They just think, that just doesn't work for me spiritually. It doesn't work for them to think that, that the only way we can be forgiven by God is through Jesus. So, so they've kind of created their own version of who God is and, and what it's all about. And so they maybe go off to maybe Leo Desert and they're just out there and they're, they're worshiping this, this God who, who doesn't need to punish sin and who didn't send Jesus and who there's lots of ways to God. So they're praying and they're exalting and thanking him for whatever. But you have to understand they're not worshiping. They're worshiping a God they don't know because they're worshiping a God that can't be known because they're worshiping a God who doesn't exist. Does that make sense? The only way we can worship the true God is if we're worshiping in truth. You must have the truth about God or you're not worshiping God. And there are tragically lots of people today who think that they're worshiping and church, we, we have what they need. We have the gospel. That's another topic. And we'll talk about that too in, in, in the weeks to come. Worship needs truth, which means that when we worship, we must set our hearts upon the truth of God as revealed in Jesus through the scriptures. Our hearts must be set upon truth in order for us to worship. That's worship in truth. Now, what is worship in spirit? I found one clue in John 4 which helped me a little bit. Uh, notice that Jesus says God is spirit. Did you catch that? God is spirit, verse 24. And what that means is that God isn't tied to any particular physical location. He has no physical limitations. We don't need to ask, now where is God? I want to go worship him. Oh, he's, he's over in that country. Okay, I'm, I'm going. God is spirit. His presence is everywhere, which means that we can worship him wherever we are, which is why there's people all around the world today who are talking to God the Father through Jesus the Son, and, and God is right there, drawing near to them, hearing them. God is spirit. But that doesn't help us understand how to worship in spirit. We can connect anywhere, but how? How do we do that? And to answer that, I found a lot of help one chapter earlier in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. I started trying to find out how does John's gospel use this word small s spirit and look at what we read in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. So helpful for understanding what worship in spirit is. A Jewish leader named Nicodemus has come to Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus' miracles and he's interested and he wants to learn more. And look at what Jesus says in verse 3 to him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Nicodemus doesn't get it, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So he puts a little different phrase here. Born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, just to clarity, what it, what it means to be born of water and the Spirit, that's simply a description of salvation. When we are saved by God through Jesus Christ, God cleanses our hearts from sin. That's like water. 
and God changes our hearts by his power. Okay, that's spirit by the Holy Spirit. So that's just simply a description of being saved. And then look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is, small capital S, Spirit. There it is. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now that verse helped me understand what Spirit, when there's a small capital S, capital S, Holy Spirit, right? But small letter S, what does that mean? Verse 6 helped me understand that. See, part of the problem is when we hear the word spirit, we usually think, well, that's something everybody has. Just like you have a soul, you got a spirit, that's like the immaterial part of you. But it's clear from this verse that's not what Jesus is saying. The only people who have small letter S in this verse is those who've been born again, those who've been saved. Only saved people have small, cap, small letter S as Jesus is using it here. Does that make sense? You see that here? Got to be born of the Spirit to have small s spirit. And from what Jesus says in verse 3 and verse 6, having small s spirit gives us the ability to see the kingdom of God, to see God's glory, to see Jesus' beauty, to see. We're not seeing physically, but we're seeing spiritually. We're sensing its reality. We see it. We're beholding it. And then because we see it, we want to enter it. You can only see the kingdom and enter the kingdom if you're born again, by which you receive small as spirit, which means you see the kingdom, you want to enter the kingdom, you're seeing God's glory, you're beholding Christ's majesty, you want Jesus more than anything. That's what small s spirit means. So when God saves you through the spirit by trusting in Jesus, the Holy Spirit supernaturally creates spirit in you for the first time. And that changes everything. Do you remember that day? It changes everything. You see God in his glory. You love Jesus Christ. You, you behold his reality, his love, his majesty. You're convicted for your sin. God, if you're that glorious, look at how I've dishonored you. And we see that we can be forgiven through Jesus' beautiful love and death on the cross. And because we see God's glory in Christ, we gladly turn from whatever else we used to trust to satisfy us. And we want him. If I could have him, I'll be satisfied forever. And so we gladly repent, turn from the things we used to trust, and put our trust in Jesus to forgive us, which he does, to change us, which he starts doing, and to satisfy us by pouring his love, his presence into our lives. And so when you're saved, you have spirit, a new heart, new affections, new desires, new attitudes. You're totally changed in terms of being Godward and loving Jesus' glory more than anything. Okay, let me try to scrunch this down into, into a couple of words. What does small s spirit mean in John 3 verse 6? It means the spirit birthed longing and ability to see and feel God's glory in Christ. Spirit birthed Longing and ability to see and to love God's glory in Christ. So what does it mean to worship in spirit? It means longing and seeing and feeling God's glory in Christ. That's worship in spirit. Longing for seeing and feeling, delighting in, loving God's glory in Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do you put it together? Spirit and truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? 
what this means is we set our hearts upon the truth of who God is in Jesus. Okay, that's truth. Truth revealed in, in the scriptures. Set our hearts upon the truth of who God is with a longing to see. I want to see your glory. I want to feel your glory. Meet me. Come. I'm hungering for you. So there's truth and there's spirit. And when truth and spirit come together, the Holy Spirit moves in and reveals freshly God's glory to you, pours God's love into your hearts, enlightens the eyes of your hearts so that you see afresh, you love, you're sensing, you're feeling the presence, the love, the glory, the majesty, the nearness of God in Christ. That's worship in spirit and truth. Here's an illustration. Um, it's not original with me, but I find it very helpful. Let's say your heart is like a fireplace and worship is when your heart's just got, got a big fire burning in that fireplace, okay? Fire of love for God, joy in Christ, zeal for his glory, okay? That's worship. Heart's your fireplace and there's this fire burning there. Now, the question is, how do you get a fire burning in a fireplace? My heart, usually the beginning of the day, starts off stone cold, okay? Just like, can there ever be a fire in that thing? And or you may, there's times where we all walk in here Friday morning and we think, well, today's just not going to happen, but I'm here, Lord, forgive me. It's, this heart's just really feeling far from you, right? We all have times like that, right? So what do you do? To, to get a fire, what do you need? You need fuel, like kindling, you know, kindling, like paper. We used to wad up newspapers when I was growing up. Wad up papers, kindling, logs. Okay, you need fuel. And what else do you need? Heat. Okay, you need heat, like a match, which is longing for God, desire to have your heart changed, crying out to God to meet me. So there's truth and there's spirit. And when those come together, when you match and you put that to the paper and the paper starts to burn and then it gets the kindling and the kindling starting to burn and then it gets the logs and the logs are starting to burn and there's a fire going in that cold or previously cold fireplace. So now how, how do we do that in terms of worshiping in, in spirit and truth? Well, we, we start by putting the paper and the kindling and the logs in the heart, okay? You fill your mind with the truth of who God is in Jesus Christ. Truth is crucial. Some people make the mistake of thinking, they, they just, God, meet me, help me, open my eyes, but they never set their eyes on the truth of who God is. You gotta set your eyes on the truth of who God is. You gotta, you gotta fill the fireplace with paper and kindling and logs. If there's no paper and kindling and logs and you light the match, how hot's the fire gonna burn? Gone, right? So. Set your heart upon truth. Now, we do that through singing songs that are full of biblical truth, hearing scriptures read, hearing scriptures preached, hearing people lead us in prayer. So this is always Friday mornings, for example, that we help you fill your fireplace with truth. Paper, kindling, logs. Okay, but that's not enough. Okay, you can know a lot of stuff and not have that your heart be burning with worship, so you need some heat, you need a match, and that's spirit. And so as we're singing, as we're praying, as we're listening to the word being preached, we're saying, God, meet me. I'm longing for you. Show me your glory. 
enlighten the eyes of my heart. Pour out your spirit upon me. I love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. And as the fuel of God's truth meets the heat of passion for God, the Holy Spirit will come and fire will be there. That's worship in spirit and in truth. We don't think, hey, this morning I think I'm going to do the worship in truth part, and the next week I'm going to do some worship in spirit. No, no, no. Spirit and truth together all the time. Are we clear? This is very important. Let me give you an example. Samuel Pierce was a pastor in England in the 1700s. And he wanted to set aside some time to seek God. He was feeling very far from God. And he, he wanted to press in. He wasn't content, just feeling nothing. And so he set aside time and, and he had truth. He opened up his Bible and he started to pray through the book of 2 Corinthians. So he was praying through 2 Corinthians, reflecting on, thinking about biblical truth and saying, God, meet me. Show me who you are. Help me to see this more clearly. Strengthen my faith. I'm longing for you. And what happened? Remember, he'd been feeling very far from God. Here's what happened. He wrote this in his journal. As I prayed, God profoundly changed my heart. You've experienced that, haven't you? He does. He can take the coldest heart, the most bitter heart, the, the heart that feels the farthest from him, and by his mercy and grace through Jesus, he can profoundly change your heart. As I prayed, God profoundly changed my heart. Oh, what a heavenly, glorious, melting power he has. What a view of the love of a crucified redeemer he gave me. What a sense of the beauty of the cross. If ever in my life I knew anything of the influence of the Holy Spirit, this was the time. I was swallowed up in God. Hunger, fullness, cold heat, friends and enemies all seemed nothing before God. I was in a new world. All was delightful, for Christ was all and in all. Burning! You see that? Spirit and truth. Heat and fuel. Fire. That's what took place. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to experience this every Friday morning or whenever you move into private worship, but I, I want you to raise your expectations of what God can do. Some of us, your expectations are way too low for what God can do in worship. Some of you may not even understand that you should be hungry to meet God in worship. God draws near to us when we draw near to him, James 4. He promises that. He loves to meet his people. He loves to show you his glory. Pour his love into your heart. Satisfy your heart thirsts with rivers of living water. He promises to do that. He loves to do that. And he will do that to the degree and at the time that's always the best. So sometimes we just get just a few drops. It's like a few drops of God's glory is beautiful. And other times there will be a, an outpouring of, of rainfall. And that's beautiful. But we just come. We're hungry. We're setting our hearts upon truth, spirit and truth. We worship and God always promises to meet us as we do that. 
Let's read verse 23 again. I want you to feel this spirit and truth, how crucial this is. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So that's what worship is, spirit and truth. Now, why is worship such a priority? And it's because of that last line in that verse. Did you catch that? Where Jesus says the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What does that mean? Let's read the verse again. I want you to follow Jesus' logic very carefully because that will help us understand what he means. He says the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for, because, here's the reason why, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now think about that. The reason there will be those who worship in spirit and truth is because the Father is seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. In other words, the Father's seeking guarantees that there will be those kind of worshipers. So what kind of seeking is Jesus talking about here? We tend to think that he's, he's seeking to find those kinds of worshipers. Let me see if there's any, any of those worshipers here in Abu Dhabi seeking to, to find them. But he can't mean that. He can't be meaning that the Father is just seeking to find worshipers because seeking to find something doesn't guarantee that it's going to be there, does it? If you go out to Liwa Desert, and you're seeking to find an oasis out there, just start walking. I'm, I'm looking for an oasis. Does that guarantee that you're going to find an oasis? Hey, church, the answer to that is no. Okay, don't try it, all right? No guarantee. Looking for something doesn't guarantee that you're going to find something, and so that can't be the kind of seeking that Jesus is talking about here. The kind of seeking that Jesus is talking about here is not seeking to find, but seeking to create. Jesus is seeking to create those who worship in spirit and in truth. Remember, that's what we read about just in the previous chapter. By God's power, through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again. Spirit is birthed in us, and we become those who worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what God the Father is doing right now as he has sent Jesus to talk to the Samaritan woman because the Father, through Jesus, is going to create her into a worshiper, a woman who worships in spirit and in truth. So because the Father seeks to create worshipers. And whatever the sovereign, almighty, creating Father does happens. Whatever he seeks to do to create will be created. That guarantees that there will be those who worship in spirit and truth. So let's read verse 23 again just so you see how that works. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. How can that be guaranteed? For the Father is seeking to create such people to worship him. Now sometimes I want to make sure that my interpretations aren't, aren't, aren't wrong. And uh, so sometimes I'll check out some of the old-time commentators. How many of you have read Matthew Henry's commentary? Okay, I think we're talking 1600s here. Still in print today, that says something. This is what Matthew Henry says. I might have even gotten it from him in the first place. So that helps me think, okay, that, that's what's going on here. Now, that shows us why worship is such a priority. 
It's because God, the God of the universe, the God who's created everything, the God who holds your life in his hands, he is seeking to create worshipers. When he saved you, he was creating you into a worshiper. Which means that because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you are a worshiper. It's who you are. It's one of the reasons God saved you was to make you into a worshiper. So worship should be our priority because that's who God has made you to be. That's who you are. That's who he made you to be when he saved you. And so you are to be a worshiper. And some of you maybe have never thought of yourselves in that way. But you are a worshiper of God. You've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can worship in spirit and truth because he's birthed spirit in you. You have a new heart. You have new affections. Now, for some of us, that new heart and those new affections may have been neglected for so long that they've become dormant. But I tell you, 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 you start saying, God, stir that, that little flicker, fan that into a flame in this heart. Fan that into a flame. Put some logs in. Get some kindling going. Whatever noise a fire makes. Crackle, 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 okay? It'll happen. But see, some of you may think, oh my, there's nothing in there. Well, if you've let it lie dormant, it will feel like there's nothing in there. Or if you've just gone through a terrible trial, it can feel like nothing's in there. Or if you, you, you walked willingly into sin yesterday, then this morning it can feel like nothing's in there. But draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That's the promise. So you may not feel like you've been created into a worshiper, but if you're trusting Jesus Christ, you are a worshiper. So start worshiping. I can say that so strongly because, in fact, let me just give you three reasons why God creates worshipers and has worship be such a priority. One reason is because worship is what most glorifies God. The highest reality in the universe, the highest value in the universe is God's glory. God loves his glory. He loves to display his glory for our joy. And one of the most powerful displays of God's glory is you worshiping God through Jesus. Here Friday morning in your home group, in your own privacy, you worshiping God displays his glory. That's one reason this is a priority. A second reason, not only does this most highly glorify God, this most powerfully satisfies you. Your highest joy, far more than anything else, is not shopping. Right? It's not watching that movie on Netflix. It's not even eating your favorite food, whatever it might be. And those are gifts from God, you know. But infinitely higher than all of those is worshiping God. You, you've tasted that if you're trusting Jesus. If you've been saved, there's been a point in your life when you've tasted that and there is no comparison between the joy of beholding God and his glory and anything else. So it most glorifies God, it most satisfies you, and it most frees you. We always get, or we often get chained by, oppressed by, weighed down by various discouragements or bitternesses or impatience. I mean, I, I was battling a bad attitude about something last night and I was talking, to, I was working on this message and I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm weighed down. I need to be freed from this. And so, Lord, just help me to see who you are. I'm not seeing you clearly. There was spirit 
Help me, meet me, there was truth. You are in control of this. You will give us wisdom. You are going to work. And you've experienced this. As I started to worship the Lord, to seek his face, I was freed. You've experienced that, right? Sometimes it's instant. Other times it comes slowly, but it always comes okay. So with all that in mind, I want to say, you are created to be a worshiper, so worship God. It's a command, isn't it? Praise the Lord, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. All through the scriptures, we are commanded to worship, which means worship is a priority. Is it your priority? Now, let me give you seven ways we can make worship a priority. First of all, Make worship part of your private prayer. I hope you have a, a rhythm in your life of at least daily setting aside time where all you're doing is praying. And make worship part of that. Maybe pick out some songs, put them on a playlist that, you know, worship songs that are especially powerful and just listen to those, sing those. Maybe pray over Psalm 145. Maybe just go over God's attributes and Put them in your own words. You are sovereign. You're in control of everything. You are loving. Oh, you're so good to us with such mercy. And just start to go over God's attributes. Make worship part of your private prayer time. That's making it a priority. Secondly, make worship part of family devotions. Dads, lead your family in prayers of worship. That might feel awkward the first time to say, kids, this feels awkward to me, but this is right. And, and I want to lead us in, in worship together right now. And then dads, just simply, humbly, we worship you, God. Thank you for Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. Beautiful and powerful for your kids. Powerful. Maybe sing worship songs together. Read a psalm of worship together. Make worship part of family devotions. Third, worship throughout the day. I trust you, Father. Jesus, forgive me for that. I'm so sorry. Holy Spirit, help me. Just, you're worshiping throughout the day. Fourth, make Friday worship a priority. If you're part of Grace Church, you're healthy, you're in town, be here. Not some kind of a legalistic duty. I, I kind of thought of it, it should be a delightful commitment. Like, I'm committing to, I'm going to start eating ice cream every Saturday night, faithfully. Okay? It's, it's like, Jesus is far better than ice cream every Friday morning, okay? As much as you want. But seriously, make it a priority. Don't wake up and think, hun, should we go this morning? That's not a good idea. Make a commitment. Fifth, prepare your heart for Friday worship. Maybe take time Thursday evenings or, or Friday mornings to pray for our gathering here. Pastor Ben puts a wonderful playlist of the songs we'll be worshiping with on our website. Go over those, sing those, learn those, worship through those, pray for the preaching of the word, pray for spiritual gifts to be poured out, pray for God to visit us in a powerful way. Grace Church, imagine what will happen as Thursday night, all throughout Abu Dhabi, people from Grace Church are saying, God, meet us Friday morning. God, pour out your spirit upon us Friday morning. Visit us in a fresh way Friday morning. Wow. Think about it. I love it. Number six, come on time Friday mornings. 
Why are you laughing at that one? <laughs> if Sheikh Nachyan, we, we are so thankful for Sheikh Nachyan, the Minister of Tolerance, if he, if he was going to be here next Friday morning at 10 o'clock to meet us, to greet us, um, he's here at 10, bring him up front. Imagine how honored he would feel if, if everybody was here at 10 o'clock. And how awkward it would feel if 10.05, 10.10, 10.15. Do you feel that? And um, I want to urge you, church, to consider the glory that comes to the Lord. You wouldn't miss the first 10 minutes of your favorite rugby game, right, or of the movie, would you? Jesus is infinitely more glorious and satisfying. So as one of your elders, I want to urge you to make that a priority. Don't, don't think, what's the latest time we can leave to get there at 10? Never works. Ask to get there at quarter till, because then you can get your kids registered, right? You can come in and get ready. Now also, we, we know there's times where things happen and people come late. No one's judging here. No one's taking pictures or jotting down names, okay? And nobody's, if you walk in late, we're all gonna assume it's because you had some really good reason, all right? Don't worry about that. Better late than never, as we say. Um, but let's work on that. As your pastor, I want to urge you, I think this is important. The more we glorify Christ, the more strong we'll be in him as a church, the more his name will be displayed to Abu Dhabi, the more the powers of darkness will be pushed back here, the more his kingdom will come, the more the gospel will advance. Who knows what could happen here, church? Let's go for it. Number seven, worship in both spirit and truth. When you worship. Spirit, heartfelt longings, prayers for God to meet you, and truth, setting your hearts on the truth of who God is in, in Christ. So you've got spirit, you've got the match, you've got truth, you've got the paper kindling and logs, and when that heat and that fuel and the spirit and the truth come together, God's going to work and there's going to be the fire of worship filling your heart and filling this place. Let's stand together. I want to pray. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's not yet come to the place where, they're put, where they've put their trust in Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that you would, right now, birth spirit in their hearts, that they would own up to the truth of who Jesus is, see their desperate need for a Savior who will forgive them, and turn from whatever else they've been pursuing for their life and that they would seek you with all their hearts right now. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church that you would help us see more clearly the priority that worship is because you've created us to be worshipers. And we praise you for your saving work, that you have saved us. You've created us to be worshipers. You've changed our hearts, Lord. We love you for that. We worship you for that. We praise you for that with this song. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>